0: The 80s were an era of musical excess and photographer Mark Weisguy Weiss was there to document the biggest and most dangerous bands of the time. From Van Halen, Ozzy, Metallica to Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, and Guns N' Roses, the Decade That Rock podcast will look back at the period's most historic music and moments through Mark's iconic images. New interviews with rock stars both old and new will give fans a backstage pass to the most hedonistic era in music. Along for the ride is me, Mark's co-host, Greg Alpert, music journalist, comedy podcast host and 80s rock addict and i'll help shape the conversation from a fan's perspective come with us for a decadent celebration of the decade that rocked all right mark so you know today i think a great place for us to start since um you know we just got through your your museum debut that's running for almost two months um you know, we, I'd love to talk to you about the first band you really started to shoot live um, and then got to know and then you know, we're there from the early days and, and that band is early New Jersey legends uh, White Tiger. So why don't you just yeah. tell me a little bit about the band and how you got to know the guys and Danny and, and everybody.
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't the first, you know, band I shot, but there's the first like local band where I got to know and, you know, actually shot them backstage and did photo studio shoot with it. we were heavy metal, you know. Uh, I mean, I was already doing stuff since I was 16. But, you know, once, you know, in New Jersey, you had to be, uh, they, they changed the law from 21 to 18. So I just turned 18. So it was like, perfect. You know, I just got out of high school. All right, what are we going to do? We're going to go to Emmitson, Found Casino, we're going to, we're going to go and, uh, you know, have some drinks, hang out with friends. Metal was like, you know, rocking. Led Zeppelin was big. ACDC was, uh, you know, Scorpions were just starting to break out. Van Halen. And here's this band looking better than any of those bands I mentioned uh, with spandex and a little bit of eye makeup, you know, uh, definitely ahead of their time, you know, playing these cool songs, you know, and uh, so they immediately like, you know, drew thousands of people in and it was them and Twisted Sister, like, were like, you know, dominating the tri-state area. It's not even further, further out on the East Coast. And uh, I don't even know where they came from. I, I maybe New Orleans. you have to ask Danny when he gets gets on. But uh, but uh, so I just started going there and then there was all these girls there. And, you know, I, hey, I'm just out of high school. Girls, uh, spandex, mm-hmm. uh, big hair uh you know it was kind of like you know uh it was kind of a dream come true for uh, a kid that, that loved heavy metal and hard rock
0: Everything and, uh, was and that was it
1: I just I befriended them uh I, I don't remember what I said to Danny he'll have to fill you in on that but uh I'm sure I kind of try to schmooze him and try to get access and you know try to stick my teeth into into the band and and see what it was like because I always wanted a tour with the band and and hang out with the band and you know just see what that whole scene was like so that was the closest thing I could possibly get to and it was right in my backyard so I used mm-hmm. to bring my friends and and uh and one, one thing about White Tiger is like you knew you weren't going home alone <laughs> you know you'd always have a hot chick you know and you you knew you weren't going home alone so right. you know the
0: which good is why I became kids. a photographer yeah right anyway
1: that's that's my story in a nutshell
0: yeah well i mean it's a good time to to introduce danny um who's with us from uh the band and you know danny obviously i think after that little intro you know for need to know what your initial thoughts were when you saw mark in the crowd you know at one of your shows and then um you know what do you remember from the time
2: well uh, hey guys it's uh it's it's good to be with you and thanks for the uh, opportunity to talk a little bit about wonderful memories um, we got here in April of 78 uh, from New Orleans and mark is right we we came from New Orleans we were kids I was 22 years old it you know took me all I could gumption up to relocate eight guys from uh, upper middle class families in New Orleans to uh, the New York tri-state area you know with a with an ambition and a and a dream. A few months after we had been playing, uh, we started to build a reputation really, really fast. I mean, we were, you know we came up here with a vengeance, and we wanted to really just do what we loved, which was playing music and uh, and enjoying that. Hold on a minute, guys. We got to turn this off. Um, so um, we uh, we got here. I, I don't know. I. I know was ambitious everybody in the band was ambitious and when mark showed up it was one of the one of the clubs it might have been colonel's garter it might have been the soap factory it was somewhere uh and he was uh he was kneeling low really down next to the my side of the stage with the camera aimed up and i i i saw this guy have there was a passion in his eye about the way he was shooting what we were doing so You know, at at the end of the set, he came over and he introduced himself and he said, look, I, I, you know, I want to shoot rock bands um, and, you know, you guys really put on a good show. Would it be okay if I, you know, photographed you guys? um, And even if I, you know, could get, you know, near the stage, I said, Mark, you can get on the stage if you want, as long as you don't trip us up. I said, you can do anything you want. The only thing we would like is just to review the shots. And if there's anything there, we get usage rights for, a- for advertising and we'll put a photo credit in for you. Right. And he was all about that. He wanted a photo credit. He wanted, uh, he, you know, he, he really wanted to cut his teeth shooting rock and roll. And, you know, he, he saw us and I mean, we were fairly animated on stage and, uh, you know, we were definitely the real deal. We were genuine about what we wanted to do. I, I didn't know what we looked like until I started seeing his pictures, but I knew that, uh, he was getting good shots, and we were going to use those shots. So it seemed like good, fair trade for us. But let me tell you, the one thing I noticed about Mark, I knew what ambition was in yeah. my heart. I saw it in his eyes. And this boy was never going to stop until he made his mark doing what he did.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: So that's the intro. <laughs> to mark but he was, he was along the ride the whole time. I mean, up until we – Stopped playing together at the end of 1982. He was always showing up, shooting pictures. Probably 1982 years after we had met him, he decided to do a real formal photo shoot. We went to Morristown. There was a dance studio we used. We set up his backdrop. Uh, I think Suzette from uh, uh, D's wife from Twisted Sister. She was doing our clothes back then, so she was there. Uh, you know, with the wardrobe, and we just we had a great photo shoot, and that I think that. That shot probably ran for two years after that. Well wow. In
1: Farrion in and everything else. And that, and that shot is in, the, in my museum, you know, because I have it broken down into chapters of each year. So 1980, he's alongside David Lee Roth and Brian Johnson. That's uh, uh, and, uh, and also in the chapter openers, there's a, uh, an ad for the Fountain Casino that they used it in. So I put that in there. And it was really my first. I mean, I was shooting some punk bands and some like uh, Maxes and CBGBs and things like that. But this is the first like image conscious band that, that that looked like the bands that I was gonna shoot, and and they were, you know, they were great. They they listened to me. It was my first my first experience by trying to put like five guys together as, as a band. And, you know, and it, it wasn't hard because, you know, they were easy to shoot, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a good experience. It gave me confidence to move forward.
0: So, so Danny, what, what was the, the scene like, you know, obviously, you know, I'm from Northern Jersey and I remember picking up all the magazines and seeing all the, the black and white ads mainly at the time for all the rock shows down at the beach and, um, you know that's when there was all these bands you know contemporaries breaking and you know the Bon Jovi's and you know mentioned Twisted Sister and all that stuff like what 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 are like some great memories you have of the time just growing grown up in the scene in New Jersey specifically and obviously New
2: Well I mean you got to remember we we arrived here from New Orleans now New Orleans was a musical town and we had been playing music in New Orleans at CYO dances and uh, any place that we could play um, but they weren't you know they, There was no scene in New Orleans like there was in the tri-state area. The tri-state area was enormous. It was densely populated. The drinking age was 18. and, And nobody was checking, really checking IDs. So most of the kids who loved rock and roll music were going to the clubs. And they were 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. You know, my wife, she's four years younger than me. And she was there young. Um, back in those days when we got here. So by the time I got here in 78, I was well over drinking, which I was, I was four years older. Right. But all the kids that were coming to see us were, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. So on a Tuesday night, White Tiger would have 1,200 people in mothers with snow. That's how this scene was. And we couldn't believe it. We could work six nights a week and we could pack rooms every night that we would work People loved what we did. It was just, it was, it was a dream come true, man. I mean, it was like, this was probably the most prolific rock scene in the country at that time. I know LA was exploding. I know Detroit was rocking. New Orleans was, you know, Tennessee, uh, uh, Memphis and Nashville. They were probably all really, really strong, but there was nothing like the tri-state area, you had all of Long Island, you had all of New Jersey, you had Connecticut, some of Philly. It was out of control, man. It was just, right. it was, and they were big rooms, and I'm telling you, you could, you talking Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights doing, you know, 8 to 1,200 people. <laughs> what? Yeah. What, what, what? That's that's what it was, and they were all there to see the band. They yeah. were there for, for the band.
1: It was, it was a rock concert. It was like going to see, like, uh, uh, I'm not gonna say Led Zeppelin, but you know, it was, you know, like someone that would play, uh, you know, like when Aerosmith played in 82, you know, same crowd, same amount of people pretty much, you know, uh,
0: playing at a thousand people, 800 people a night. I mean, that's a lot of people.
2: Let me tell you what it did was it, it, it gave us the ability to afford a great, great sound system, great lighting, uh, great talent to run those, those components of the show. Um, and the freedom to write and to, you know, which we did a bit back then. I mean, we were a cover band, but we did a lot of writing and uh, and to make a great living. And we did. We made a really, really great living. But, you know, we realized a, a huge amount of success in a very controllable environment. I mean, the, the, the venues then were, you know, you can manage all of it. It wasn't like going to the garden and then going. It was, and it was all close up and personal and there were, 1,000 or more people there every night you played. It was wonderful.
1: So so where where did you go after 82? Like, did you you guys do originals? Did you want to succeed? Did you, like, you know, did you want to be like uh, Van Halen? Or, you know, what was the... Oh,
2: Van Halen wasn't like what we were chasing. I mean, we grew up earlier. Van Halen was kind of like a band that was doing, uh, you know, they had hit before we got here, but they had exploded by the time we had gotten here. We were we we grew up on music that came from an earlier period, so we were we were Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin, Beatles, uh, you know uh, Jeff Tull. That was that was our influences. So when when Joey started to influence it, our bass player really brought his ideas of what we should. He loved the Scorpions, he loved AC/DC, he loved Judas Priest. We started incorporating those bands in, but we hadn't grown up playing that music. We had grown up playing Jethro Tull and Led Zeppelin and The Who and, you know, that's that's how we cut our team. So that's what we learned. Also.
1: But, but why didn't you like go to the next level? Like Van Halen used to do house parties and do covers and all that same kind of thing, but they did, they did originals and they became, you know.
2: Right, right.
1: Was that right. part of your aspirations? Or it, you was, guys- it was, it was, it was, I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you, really
2: what happened was we just got really burnt out working and we just decided to stop and we never picked it up again until many many years later we just i i i started doing something i started doing record covers in advertising photography you know i mean conceptual stuff not not like what you did i did I did, well, look at drink theater, images and words, and that that kind of thing. I, that's what I was doing after yeah. I quit playing music. I still I still needed an audience for, for what I would do creatively, but music had, um, I don't know what happened. I think we all got kind of toasted on on the whole scene. And, you know, when you're in a band, you're married to each other, and when you're married for four and a half years and you don't ever get a break, you don't know what that break means until you take it. And then it's hard to go back
1: so but, is it is there like a behind the music on white tiger that <laughs> if you would have made it like this the <laughs> middle of the first chapter where you know there's some some stuff happened or like no no it
2: wasn't, imploded, it wasn't like you know? no no i mean look back then every band had had its patent place going on you know i mean there was you know all of the all of the lunacy with you yeah. know uh, you know the, the social life but we didn't have a brawl or a, or a knockdown drag out or any of that stuff. It was, I think I was probably burnt out because I was, I was writing a set list and trying to manage the band and trying to get a record deal. And we had a record deal brewing with a guy named Hernando. He was with a m records. And I mean, he was, he was definitely ready to sign us. We, we had a whole list of songs lined up and then it just got to be where I, I broke. And I said, I, 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 I needed, I need a new game yeah. because Every, you know, it's a weird thing when you have that level of success, even though it's nothing like what everybody else, you know, that made it over the big top head, you still have that level of success. You can almost walk away from it without any regrets. So I did. And I said, I need a new game.
0: Yeah.
2: And, and it was, I, I'm sure it was tragic for Neil um, and, and, and Joey. Um, Eric got it. And I just, I just started, you know, doing advertising photography. I yeah, just that was, just before, what it
1: was. Get it, before we get into that because I want to talk to you about the album covers and whatnot. But before you do that, like in the early '80s, like I shot John Bon Jovi when he was in the rest uh, when he opened up for Southside Johnny. At, you know, like I didn't even know who it was. And then he had, uh, you know, his his Atlantic City Expressway. And so he was trying to cut his teeth in it. I'm sure you, your guy, you guys must have crossed paths somewhere. Did you ever play together or? Yeah,
2: that's a good question. Um, in 1981, uh, it was the summer of '81. Uh, we came up here with a keyboard player, Gary, um, and Gary uh, had left the band about a year before that. And he had done a world tour with a band called the Red Rockers. He was playing keyboards for the Red Rockers, and they were opening up for. Uh, Oh, who was it? Uh, uh, You two, actually. It was you two. Anyway, when he got off the road with them, he had come back here and he got connected with John. Um, Johnny. We called him Johnny then. He was 19 years old. um, And he knew Gary had been in White Tiger. And I mean, all of those guys were kids to us. I mean, he's got to be six years younger than me, I think, or five years younger than me. Um, And he... uh, they saw us play. I mean, they were busy, but uh, he connected with Gary. Connected him with me, and he said, "You know, let's 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 jam together and see what we can do." So he was staying with his uh, cousin at the time at the uh, power station in Manhattan, and uh, I met Gary and, and John and uh, brought Eric with me, the drummer, and a bass player named Jeff was uh, was there. I don't know where he came from but I know Jeff now. I mean, he, he's a photographer too, for some reason. I don't know. It's strange, strange thing. Um, but back then he was kind of a muscle bound guy that played the bass and we went into the city and we probably had five or six. I don't know if you guys can hear that, but I hope you can. Um, we probably had five or six rehearsals. Uh, John had some songs that he had already written. I don't know who he had written them with. And, uh, we played together and he wanted to put he was putting his band together at that point i don't this is before bon jovi this, or oh wait before there's 81 this oh, is oh, the summer, 81, 81. So, yeah. yeah but he was putting it together and i think he wanted to call I found out later he did want to call it bon jovi but this was like the middle of the summertime so we we you know rehearsed and i i you know listened and started to try to write some stuff for it and you know what John does musically is not what I do. And it's not where I'm coming from. So um, it was a struggle for me to, to, to really accomplish what he was doing. I mean, it was, he was more poppy and I was, me and Eric was certainly more heavy handed. So right. it, it, was, it, was a, it was, for me, it wasn't gonna be an easy ride. And, um, but I could see, like I saw the ambition in you. I saw the ambition in him and I knew that kid was not going to stop until he was a major rock star. He just, he, he, that's what he wanted. And he, he was 19 years old and he was in hot pursuit of it. Um, Polygram was looking at him then. A few of the record labels were looking at him as his, his cousin, Tony had gotten him connected and he was, uh, he was going to happen. So what I did was I, I worked a few months with him. And at the end of that uh, summer, September, I was in New Orleans on a break and I called him and I said, John, I, you know, I'm not going to do this. I said, I, you're going to be huge. And, you know, I'm going to look back and have no regrets. I really don't, uh, feel like I want to leave white tiger right now. And I probably will in the not too long future because I'm getting really tired of the music scene. So, um, I wish you the best of luck and, you know, uh, don't know that he was all that disappointed i think richie worked out well for him better than i probably would have because richie's heart was in it and mine you know my i just i i couldn't have done that i mean i couldn't no matter what i still don't look back and say i wish i would have I, i i would have not been great for that so yeah we we spent some time together gary had brought us together and uh after that i never heard from him again it was the end of it i see he was like okay man if you don't want to do it i mean we could be like you know Keith Richards and Mick Jagger I said I I wish you the best buddy I wish you the best I think I think yeah. you're going to be huge go for it um I tell you, but- it,
0: it, it's really interesting because I I you know I've talked to through the course of interviewing a lot of you know musicians through the years um, and I can tell you that you're your perspective is very different, you know, and which is amazing. Like you were, you were in a band that you were doing so well in and you had, you were just at the cusp of getting a record deal and having all these great things happen. And you decided that was enough for you. And you had, you had enough. And I'm sure, you know, that the thoughts ran through your mind of maybe one day I'll come back to it and we'll pick this up again, but being able to walk away at something like that, that, you know, you moved to New York city and New Jersey to pursue and you had great success to just say, Eh, I think I've done what I can for now is, is it's more than interesting. It's certainly admirable. It's, you know, it's like the Michael Jordan walking away in the middle of you know, the best part of his career.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I don't know anything else, you know? I mean, for me, the thing that I know is what's in my heart. And when it became work, to do this every night and play. I mean, even though we, we we had we had gotten to a point where we were making plenty, plenty of money playing, so we could work three nights a week and still make a good living and still carry on. Um, I think the game was out of it for me, right. and when when the game goes, this then it's work, and I never wanted to work. I I love a challenge. I love a game. I love art. So I. I really just, it was, yeah, everybody told me, you know, I'll give you two weeks. You're going to be back playing music. And I was like, no, man, I, I, it's not my heart right now. When it, if it ever comes back, I'll do it, but it had to, it had to come back. So, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying to me.
1: Um, I just don't know anything else. That's how I operate.
0: Yeah, no, that's yeah. amazing.
1: So yeah. talk, talk about where you went from there. Cause uh, you know, when you sent me the album covers, it's like, I didn't even know you did them. And I, I kind of knew at the time that you were, Tablet in that and I was working for the same some of the same people doing the portraits but you were doing like this creative you know illustration that you you know from T.T. Quick's Medal of Honor uh yeah. like you were saying you you did you, you how'd you create that like tell us about some of these specific album covers you did. Well you know that was a that was a huge leap you know you know when you
2: when you when you want to hang on when you want to play music for a living it takes you a long time to learn to be that good at it. And Mark, as you know, it takes a while to get great at a craft like an art like photography. I mean, it was, I started shooting and I, you know, what I did sucked. I just, I just wanted to do it because I needed, I needed to climb another mountain, you know, and and White Tiger was a lifelong mountain and music honestly is always my first love and it always will be. That's why I'm doing it again. But
1: Go ahead. Tell me about uh, the Medal of Honor. How did you create that? Like, well, that was it like a plaster the Paris I, or something? You first record cover I ever did
2: was Medal of Honor for TG Quick. Uh, yeah, no, I. Uh, they came to me and they said, you know, we, you know, we want to do something with the logo, but we wanted to make it look like a medal, you know, like a Medal of Honor. So I said, okay. So I, I got a piece of the artwork. I looked at it, and I, 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 poured out a block of plaster Paris, and I went to work with, you know, exacto an knife and a screwdriver and a chisel until. I made that, you know, I mean, the, the, the texture in the middle of the, of the three letters is sand. And after it was all done, and carved and I really worked on that for about a month carving it. Um, I coated it in uh, like a metallic finish and I put it on, uh, red velvet and photographed it and they loved it. That was their, that was their first record cover. It was my first record cover. I did it for Johnny Z. He had signed them, you know, and, uh, Eddie Trunk was working with Johnny back then, and Eddie Trunk was coordinating it. I did all the band's photographs. I went and hung out with them while they were recording. I think Eddie Kramer was doing the uh, record. And uh, after that, I just said, no, I can do this. I'd like to do some conceptual stuff. But that was before I was in the um, darkroom, uh, really manipulated, before, way before Photoshop. I mean, this was, what was that, 1984, maybe, 85? And then Johnny started giving me work to do, so.
1: I I actually shot, uh, did a photo shoot with T.T. Quick, with Mark, who's now the singer in Accept, and they had the spandex too. It was like, you know, I think they were were right up there with uh, the the look with White Tiger. Uh, They were chasing that, for sure, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Doing
2: the same thing. I mean, once
1: we started, I remember the first time
2: spandex appeared on stage in New Jersey. (laughs) I had a a friend come up from New Orleans, and uh, she had a pair of maroon spandex. So I put them on and I went out at the towpath with them on. And I, Neil wouldn't go near him at the time. He was like, no, I, you know, you wear that. And uh, I was the only one to wear it. And then all of a sudden they were being worn, you know, black was being worn in the city. All the guys were wearing that and uh, Capizios, I think. And <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and and then everybody started wearing spandex. But by the time T.T. Quick had, had hit the scene doing the, the ACDC stuff they were doing, they were wearing it. Everybody was wearing it. Oh, yeah,
1: it. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were wearing, they had white, Mark would do the white spandex. He would do the opposite, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. With the, I had a pair of white spandex. With the open spandex.
1: shirt, you know, with all his and yep. chest. Were...
2: <laughs> I did the same thing. I had hair, I did it. You
1: for, know, it... for Overkill, you did a few albums for them, right? And you did some, one of the the yeah. iconic Fuck You album cover, I mean. I did that, that, that one. You know, I know, that was
2: iconic. I guess it is iconic, oh, but yeah. yeah. I remember a kid named Dominic who was a friend of my son's, I used his hand because his hand really looked, hold on, look, go, go. his hand looked looked perfect for that, and uh, so I photographed it, and I, I mean, that was an easy cover, I mean, the stuff I started doing, I was working for a guy named Don Carroll, that's where I learned how to shoot, he was a special effects photographer, advertising photographer in the city, and when I started working with him, we were shooting elements and putting them together, photo composing them under the enlarger. In the dark room with a pin registered easel. It was hell. It was, I mean, you'd be in there eight hours and then you go bring it to Dugal. I used to see you at Dugal picking up your film and we yeah, talked. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and then you get the film back and you have a, a dust spot on and you have to go back and do it again. So it was uh, before Photoshop. So I was doing Photoshop stuff without the under the enlarger back then. That's how I did uh, that's how I did White Lions uh, Pride. I did that cover. Um, I did a, a nonfiction. Had three covers I did for them. I did Overkill, Taken Over, Fuck You. Uh, under, I, under Under the Influence, right? Yeah. Well, I will, actually, I was not under the influence. I okay. was. Oh wait, what's under the influence?
0: No,
1: the because album. Ended, oh, uh, Your album cover. The one with the, with, the, with the little guy.
2: Oh, Under the Influence. That's right. Yeah. You know, I, I, that was actually a set that I built, a little small set, and then we converted it to art after the fact. But, What's
1: the story on that little guy sticking with the green shirts coming out? What was his that, deal? That was, a, that was somebody that we, we, had a, we hired
2: a cartoon artist to put that in after the fact. But that, that whole scene, I had actually built another thing out of plaster paris. It couldn't have been more than 24 inches wide and 10 inches tall. I had carved all of that. It was a sewer. That's what it was supposed to be—a sewer, like a toxic sewer. And I lit it, and I used a twenty millimeter lens, which was a real wide-angle lens at the time, made it look huge, and uh, and shot it. And then we had that guy put it in. He was a guy from Staten Island that uh, that would render art like that. And we put it in, and that's what that became. And but and my, what,
1: what about what about Testament, the legacy?
2: Okay, that was that I carved that that head out of a block of plaster of Paris, that skull. And with the horns and it had a, a ponytail that we had, we had bought, a, you know, like a fake ponytail. I was working with damn Manager and Eddie Trunk. I forgot. there was a young kid from San Francisco. The band was from San Francisco. And they were recording in Ithaca. I'd go shoot the band in Ithaca. But then I would work on that. And that wall was also a piece of cardboard covered in plaster Paris. And I carved those bricks in it. And, I, you know, I built the ledge. And I bought that book from someplace on 57th Street. It was an old, old antique book. Folded it open like that, and that's how I got that cover. And that was that was before you know I, I it was any Photoshop. I think the first Photoshop jo- job I did was Images and Words by for Dream from Dream Theater. That was that was the first real Photoshop job. And David Rosenthal's um, uh, Red Dawn Band. Uh, I did his first record. I,
1: I remember uh, you used to do band photos too, though, right? Oh yeah, I did a lot of that. I I remember like, you know, I think I might've been talking to Johnny Z and I was trying to like, you know, raise my hand into a photo shoot with one of his artists. And, and I said, uh, you know, you need a photo shoot. I might've been overkill. He goes, Oh, we got, we got Dan, Danny Muro doing it. I'm like, wait a minute isn't he the guy in white tiger that i shot in like the 1980 he goes oh yeah he's doing photography now i'm like that motherfucker taking yeah i'm work sorry out, I, you know? I, I you know i didn't mean to shut you out on that one i just you know johnny
2: had called me it's I, actually you know i'll tell you what it was eric from white tiger the drummer had begun playing with uh with tt quick and he had he was still living with me at the time so he knew what i was doing in the city you know i was doing all this conceptual stuff so he connected me with, uh, with Johnny because he was with T.T. Quick at the time and they were recording. And he said, you know, talk to him about the record cover. So Johnny brought me over to his house. You know, he was running his whole shop. I yeah, was,
1: yeah, I was there, him, yeah. Yeah, him
2: and Marsha, I think, and, yeah. uh, and, and, Ed, and Eddie Trunk. And they were all, you know, hovering around. We talked about the record cover and Johnny said, okay, you can do it. So, you know, I think I eventually stopped doing stuff with Johnny, and you probably picked up at that point, or you had been doing it too at the same
1: time. But I mean, that was kind of your thing to do. I was just there to do the conceptual stuff. Right. I didn't need to debate. I, I just wanted everything. I didn't want It's like whenever I, you know, found out someone else was doing it, not just you, anyone, I'm like, I want, you know, I'm all, I'm you know me. I mean, I, I try to get everything, you know? You could. Yeah, absolutely. I and wasn't that, chasing that stuff. It just came to me, and it was kind of interesting because I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. Still yeah, doing? I don't get. I don't get upset over you know if I lose a job to someone. I get over it pretty quick because there were so many out there. But you know you always got to try.
2: Yeah, you and you doing know
1: what? Uh, I'm sorry. What's that? Doing? No, I. You know the,
2: the, the cover business. Um, Greg stopped uh, when when the 12 inch vinyl went away. I mean, there was still for a few years there were CDs, and then you know when bands started recording themselves and they started doing their own artwork too. And all right. of a sudden, you know, they only needed us to shoot pictures of them. And I, I was not out there to shoot pictures of bands. I mean, I did it. I, I right. did, a, I did, a, a, I tried to make really good shots of bands when I did it, light them interestingly and whatnot, but that wasn't what I was
1: doing. You know, well, it's you know? like, it's like your, your music, like you, you, you wanted to reach your, you know, the plateau and you did by doing these album covers iconic. I mean, it's still, I, I just shot overkill down in Florida before the pandemic and, I see all these, you know, the overkill shirts. they are all those images that you did. I mean, oh, yeah, all
0: those, All those, every every overkill fan in the world and and some that aren't have that fuck you shirt. I, guaranteed. Guaranteed. I, I mean, I know I think, I,
1: I think that's actually one of my chapter openers with the crowd with wearing those shirts. I'll send that to you, Dan, you got a kick out of it. You so, should have seen the shoot for Taken
2: Over because I, what I did was I had to put those guys into a different background and they came up to the studio in Manhattan. I had a place down in uh, Little Italy and, uh, and I was, you know, I, I had the background set up so I could silhouette them out. And I made them, like, we put water all over them and made them roll in mud and put mud all over their faces and oh their God. hair and everything else with the rifles. Oh and, they, and that's how we shot that cover. If you look at that cover, they're all, like, holding rifles and they're staring yeah. at you. Like yeah, yeah, over. Yeah. They were f- literally full of mud yeah. and, and, and dripping with it. It was funny. Yeah.
0: So, Danny, let's, let's talk about what you're up to now, right? You just you just got back and you started a new band, right?
2: Yeah. I, I started playing uh, again in 2014. White Tiger did a reunion uh, end of 2014. Neil and I talked about it, and we said, yeah, let's, let's put it together. Um, he came back from California because he had been living out there for a while. And we, uh, we started running it up on social media to see where it would go. I started probably in the middle of July, knowing we were going to do it at the end of the year that year. And uh, we did a show at the Stone Pony. Uh, it was uh, December the thirteenth, two thousand fourteen. So the date was twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Wow, that's Saturday that. night. And uh, we had wound it up so much. We had we had like almost a thousand people at the Stone Pony that night. They wow. flew in from California and from. From, uh, from Florida and from wherever they were living, people all over the country that had remembered White Tiger, they really never knew what happened. White Tiger just wasn't playing anymore. Right. They didn't know what had happened to White Tiger. So all of a sudden, after 37 years, White Tiger's going to play again. And it was like, oh, what? What? <laughs> White Tiger? You know, I mean, I'm, I was lucky that that band was popular. I had no idea that people would remember us, but they did. Right. And they came. And awesome. it was a great show. And Neil and I started, you know, off and on working, working together again. And recently we uh, teamed up with Joey DeMeo from Shorefire Recording Studios. He's, he's a great songwriter. He's a great guitar player. And I've been playing with him for a few years in various projects like uh, uh, Dark Horse and, you know, a few other things. And he, he wrote a song and he threw at me and I listened to the song and I saw where my parts would go in and what I could contribute. And I said, this this has got Neil written all over it. I know how Neil sings and I know what he would do with this and he would light it up. So we gave it to Neil and Neil just wrote that song. Like he was driving down the highway, man. And that's how he calls it. He says, it's like ride down the highway with no right. stops. It was just easy from the right. So we got a whole bunch of songs in the hopper right now and it's called the and floor project. And we are having a blast with it. We have a YouTube channel. We have a Facebook page. That song is on the Facebook page. Um, We're just, we're just going to, it's a hobby and it's fun and we love music and we love old school rock and roll and we play it heavy handed and we're going to do what we do. And if people like it,
1: God bless them. I want to give them more, you know?
0: You're going to play some live shows? God bless
1: you. You know, that's, that's awesome. You know, keep, keep it going. It's it's the rock and roll music that we all love and, you know, you're keeping it, keeping it alive. And I'm sure, you know, young kids, are going to listen to it too and get turned on to it. And, you know, you, you never know. Well, if they like classic rock, like that
2: classic hard rock, that heavy-handed stuff, they're going to love that tune because it's – I mean, they're going to love everything else we do because it's, if, if, if we don't do it right and it doesn't satisfy us, you'll never hear it. If, if it's well, like why, that song, you'll hear
1: it. Why not, why not call it White Tiger?
2: Um, because it's not White Tiger. White Tiger, I'm going to tell you something. We did our reunion, and Eric was uh, – he had cut, cut his hand real bad, and he couldn't play. And a a good friend of ours sat in that night. He had two nights to rehearse. So when we did that reunion, Tommy John played. White Tiger is not White Tiger without Eric. It was was me, Joey, Eric, and Neil. And Joey, you know, he's way up north in in North Jersey. And, you know, he don't have the energy for it. And uh, it's not White Tiger. Neil and I are not White Tiger. Neil and I are what we are. But. Mm -hmm. You know, it seemed like we might have been, and we could claim it, but honestly, it was me, Neil, uh, Joey, and Eric, well, and Eric was every much a part of that sound.
1: Huge. Well, that, that goes to your integrity. Like, you know, why you left White Tiger? You're, you're a true artist. You know, you're, you're true to your craft, whatever it is. And, and, and this Killin' Floor project. And I saw it when you played at my, at the museum. I mean, you played, you know, Zeppelin and. Yeah you know, be, to honor my the music that I got brought up in. And I appreciate you and thank you for doing that for me. Uh, but I could just see the potential. And when I got home and listened, watched the, the video that you did on YouTube, I thought it was like, all right, these guys are having fun. I see it. It's not White Tiger. And the Killin' Floor Project, I love the name. It's very cool. Yeah, Neil, Neil actually came up with that. It's so last, the uh, last
2: line in the Lemon Song by Robert Plant. The Killing Floor. Down on this Killing Floor. And, you know, Neil Neil will never, even though he's not in New Orleans anymore and hasn't been like us, we will never lose that swampy, Mississippi, Delta approach to music that sort of comes from, you know, the gonads. It's just, it, it's just what we are. Yeah. And when he came up with that name, um, you know, he said, what about the Kill Floor?" And Kill Floor is used. So we had to call it the Kill Floor Project. But, it, it works. It really, really works. But I'm going to say something to you, Mark. I, I loved being honored to play at your, your, your gallery event. That was a real treat for us, uh, just to reconnect with you, just to see your history, your legacy, to celebrate it, because you did really start when we started. And, you know, your career exploded. God bless you, man. You did well. And bravo.
1: Thanks. And and this is my so book, I awesome. rocked. Uh, yep. without this is without the Guns N' Roses cover. Cause what I'm gonna do is like uh, on the next pressing, I'm gonna have maybe Van Halen and Motley, like each one. But this is this is the hardcover. And this is nineteen eighty. And here we have John Bon Jovi from the rest. <laughs> no, a young kid in the eighties. So during this period that was you guys. Oh there we are. And oh my god. Yeah.
2: Uh, White Tiger
1: spandex <laughs> so you're you're part of my history and, and i'm part of your history yeah, and same really, here, uh, yeah. It's really awesome and thanks for chatting with me and greg and, and know, we'll spread the hard. word and you spread the word yeah. and you know it's I'm talking about your book
0: yeah, yeah can't, can't wait to see the, the band the new band really like that that's super exciting and that song does it really it's Tom mark before it's got an awesome awesome vibe to it and and it just it guitar crushes it's really great
2: Thank you, Greg. congratulations. Thanks, I appreciate that, man. Right, thank you. All right, guys, it's been great talking with you guys. I hope uh, you know. Hope everything keeps going. Mark, if you need me for anything, I'll, I'm glad to chime in whenever you need me. All right, thanks, Danny. Bye.
0: Thanks, Danny. Greg, buddy. Okay. Thank you.
2: Okay. See you guys. Bye.